Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. It's just a two-week series. Uh, been thinking about this. Whether we like it or not, uh, you really can't deny the fact that uh, this game has burst onto the conscious landscape of our culture. I think a large part of it is due to the fact that ESPN, now you got to get this, ESPN, which is a sports network, okay? It, you, you do understand that fact, right? I mean, if you're married, you know there's an ESPN. In fact, there's multiple ESPNs. Do what? Oh, you still know. Okay. So you know it's there, and you know what it is. It's an, it is a sports network. However, I, I, they have made a conscious decision, I don't understand this, to put the spotlight on some other types of activities like spelling bees and card games. Now, uh, I just, I'm just going to tell you that I am not convinced that you can categorize a bunch of overweight, unshaven, paranoid, nervous funky sunglass-wearing people sitting around a table playing a card game as a sport. But they have, they have categorized this game as a sport. So th this national exposure, exposure sometimes you ought to go, I, I did the research, I'm not going to bore you with it. You ought to go see what that kind of exposure has done to this particular card game um, that we're going to talk about. And what it's done is it's caused elements of this game, uh, gambling game called poker, to invade the vernacular of our world. It's a co there's common phrases that they use that have invaded just our everyday conversation. In particular, there's this concept of going all in. All in. It's the concept of taking everything and pushing it all to the center of the table uh, in a moment, in a, in a move that requires an all or nothing, nothing held back, stark moment of risk, bravery, and courage. Now, you need to understand where I'm coming from. Uh, newsflash, I am not a, fa a fan of gambling. Never have been, never will, will be. Because I, I recognize that it is, uh, has at its core an addictive quality that t totally demolishes and destroys families and so I will never be a favor of gambling but what I do think that I want to do is encourage you this morning to embrace the mentality of going all in that there comes this moment that as uh, followers of Christ that we have to make a radical choice and decision to push everything to the center of the table and say I'm all in I surrender everything to you see this the reality this morning is that we learned it in children's church. How many of you attended children's church when you were little? Okay, maybe vacation Bible school, remember that? Okay, uh, what else? oh, we did booster band. Anybody ever sung in the booster band? Just me and my sister, okay, three or four of us. We, they'd give us all sticks and blocks and we'd make our own music, right? And we would sing this song that had, un yeah, we did. We'd mar they'd march us right out in front of everybody and we'd sing song. I had sandpaper blocks as instruments, okay? We would sing this song that sounded cute but taught us to go all in. It was theological in its connotation. We just didn't understand it and it was this. If you're up, you're up. 
And if you're down, you're down. But if you're only halfway up, you're neither up nor down. Okay, come on, join me. Here we go. Come on, everybody get ready. If you're up, you're up. Come on, y'all. If you're up, you're up. If you're down, you're down. If you're only halfway up, you're neither up or down. Right, and we'd speed up and go faster and faster and faster. All right. All right. Do it again? All right. No. Some of you already need chiropractic treatment. I understand. But something happens. I don't understand this. haven't completely figured it out. I'm, I'm finding it's even true in my own life. The older we get, the less risk we like to take. Because see, what we do as teenagers is, man, one of these days when I'm rich, I will give everything away. And then what happens is then we recognize there's too much at stake. And it costs too much. And so we don't go up nor down. The problem with trying to balance on the fence and refusing to get off on one side or the other is that Jesus was and still continues to be absolutely radical. We have tamed him down to fit our comfort zone. But the truth this morning that I must share with you is that Jesus always has been and always will be completely and totally radical. He, and he requires of us, if we are going to follow him, to match his level of being radical, brave, and courageous. So y'all don't see? Yeah, Ooh, I don't like where he's going. This is going to, this is going to challenge me. Uh, uh, let me see if I can read to you some statements that Jesus made that reveal to us the all-in nature and, and condition that he's calling us to live. Here you go, Luke chapter 9, verse 62. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. That's, that's pretty radical. That's pretty all-in, all-or-nothing isn't it? Okay, and then he comes on behind that, and in a few chapters later, in Luke chapter 14, he says this in verse 25 through 34. It says, one day when large groups of people were walking along with him, Jesus turned and told them, anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even one's own self can't be my disciple. Anyone who won't shoulder his own cross and follow behind me can't be my disciple. Is there anyone here who planning to build a new house doesn't first sit down and figure the cost so you'll know if you can complete it? If you only get the foundation laid and then run out of money, you're going to look pretty foolish. Everyone passing by will poke fun at you. He started something he couldn't finish. Or can you imagine a king going into battle against another king without first deciding whether it's possible with his 10,000 troops to face the 20,000 troops of the other? And if he decides he can't, won't he send an emissary and work a truce? Simply put, listen to this, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether plans or people, and kiss it goodbye, you can't be my disciple. Salt is excellent, but if salt goes flat, in other words, he's saying that when we decide to follow him, there's this edge to us, there's this seasoning in us that is supposed to affect others. He says, if that goes flat, it's useless and good for nothing. Then he says this, are you listening to this? Are you really listening? 
Jesus didn't allow for halfway up, halfway down mentality or living. It was an all or nothing proposition. It was leave your nets and follow me. It's leave your business and follow me. Let the be- dead bury the dead. Forget everything and turn and follow me. Cast it all aside. Push all the chips. Count the cost. Weigh the cost of what it's going to call to me. Push them all to the center of the table. Your family, your will, your rights, your plans, your possessions, your love. And stack them in the center of the table and say, God, I will leave all of this in your hands to follow you. Unless we're living like that now, Jesus made it very plain that we are not fit for his kingdom. See, I ain't going to get much help today, but that's just the way it is. See, I'm convinced of this. We have way too many in the game that won't serve and way too many in the game that won't give and way too many in the game that won't sacrifice and way too many in the game that won't push beyond their own rights and their own desires because they are trying to preserve what is theirs. Can I just inform you that at the moment that you kneel and bow your knee and your heart to Jesus that you have no more rights? Did you know when you join the military that you no longer have any constitutional rights? Guess what? You enlisted in the army of God, and at the moment that you say, I surrender all, whether you sang it or prayed it, at any phraseology that you want to put together for it, once you make that, that announcement to Jesus and say, I'm making you Lord, you have no more rights. Jesus calls us to live a different way. He calls us to risk for his sake and for the kingdom's sake. He doesn't just, can I just tell you this morning, he doesn't respond well to halfwayers. He doesn't respond well to mediocre people that are halfway in and halfway out. In fact, if you want to see how he responds, go flip forward in your Bible sometime to Revelation and discover that he, he says that he, he begins to describe these people as lukewarm. And then in one of the most visually graphic statements, he says, this is how I deal with people that are halfway up, halfway down. I throw them up. I vomit them. They make me sick at my stomach. I started to tell you, look at your neighbor and say, you smell, no. That is a pretty stark picture. And it is a, seems to be a harsh mentality it's because it is an all or nothing proposition and mandate that we must live by. I just have a question for you this morning. Why is it after we read, and I know you're reading, why is it that after we read Scripture and we re- read account after account of men and women who were required to risk everything, like, for instance, Noah had to risk his public reputation. Abraham had to give up his only son. Uh, Gideon had to face overwhelming odds. Daniel had to be called into account for his convictions and was thrown into a lion's den because of what he believed. Job lost everything. The disciples walked away from their livelihood, walked away from their, their fathers and mothers and their family businesses and ultimately sacrificed their very life. Why is it after we read those accounts that we think because we live in a different century, 
that the same will not be required of us. Because we tend to read the Bible as history instead of as reality. And we think we're safe. But I would tell you that that's nonsense. Jesus rails against the mentality of going halfway in in Matthew chapter 25 when he's dealing with the, the you remember the, the, the parable of the talents when he divvies out the talents and he comes back and he finds one young man has not done anything with his talent but buried in the ground. Do you remember? Does it happen to cross your consciousness right now what Jesus said to that young man? Let, let me read it to you. I think it's pretty profound. He said, that's a terrible way to live. Listen, it's criminal, to, it's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? Get rid of this play it safe. Who won't go out on the limb and throw him out into utter darkness? That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty brutal, isn't it, Jesus? I mean, he was trying to just hang on. I understand, but Jesus reveals his heart that this is not a game. This is all or nothing. All the chips are on the table. I'm counting everything as nothing. Paul said it like this, I count it all as dung compared to the opportunity to serve him and live for him. So how do we know? I, I think there are telltale signs of whether people are living all in. I, I, I started to hand out mirrors this morning so you could hold it while I preach so you could do self-examination. Look at yourself in the mirror. Say, am I really being, am I really all in or am I not? Because there are some ways we can tell whether or not you're really all in. And let me, let me share. The first one is this. If you're all in, you will be brave. <laughs> if you're really committed to serving Jesus, you will be brave. We will challenge you to do things that stretch your comfort zone and make you nervous, but because you're all in, you will take chances and you will risk everything for Him and you will be brave about doing it. Has it ever occurred to you, maybe it hasn't occurred to you, and maybe I'm just shedding some light this morning, it's dangerous to follow Jesus. See, there are only two, uh, two ways to respond to fear. All of us, when we're following Christ at different moments, are smacked in the face with fear. Jesus will call us to do something. Come on now. Some of y'all been praying since you were 16. Please don't send me to Africa, God. That's that fear that comes. Please, God, please don't, don't, don't let me live single all my life, God. Fear. There, there are only two ways to respond to fear, any type of fear when it comes to following Jesus. And that is, there's two ways. Number one is you can seek to be safer or you can seek to be braver. And what I've discovered is that Jesus is in the business of making people who are braver. In fact, I would say to you that Jesus is not in the business of making situations safer. I got bad news for you. When you Give your life to Jesus wholeheartedly. It will not be a cakewalk. It will not be a bed of roses. It won't always be easy because Jesus refuses to allow you to live in such a way that it does not require reliance on Him. That was good. That was truth. If you can do this Christian walk without relying on Him, then you're not brave enough. 
so you got to make a choice between being safe or being brave. Let me just say it like this. If you are following Jesus and it doesn't feel dangerous, then you might want to check to see if you're actually following Jesus. Let me ask you this question this morning. I'm asking myself this question this morning. How brave are you? When it comes to following Christ in a relationship with Him, how brave are you? Are you willing to fail? See, most of us are not even willing to fail because we don't want to try something that we're not good at. And so we don't, we're more afraid of failure than we are afraid of doing nothing. So when Jesus calls us to do something, I'm not even going to try to do that because I know I can't pull that off. Then you're not brave. Are you, are you brave enough to make a fool of yourself? Most of us won't even worship outside of our comfort zone because we're afraid we'll make a fool of ourselves. Most of us won't serve outside of our comfort zone because we're afraid we'll make a fool of ourselves. We're more worried about man's idea about who we are than God's knowledge of who we are. We're not very brave. We won't trust God. We're not even brave enough to trust God with our finances. We're not brave enough to trust God with any aspect of our life. If you're all in, if you have counted the cost and said, I'm following him regardless of what it costs, here I am, I surrender to you, you will be brave. Are you playing it safe? If you're playing it safe, then you're not all in. Now, let me say this as a, a second point to you, just as a teaching moment. I will tell you that although you're going to be brave if you're all in, your courage will not lead to carelessness. Jesus said that we should count the cost. See, some of us talk a good game, but we aren't really willing to do the hard work of counting the cost, so we always start things and we never finish things. I'm preaching right now. We get started in things and then we bail out because we fail to sit down and calculate the cost, and therefore we're trying to be courageous, but we do it with stupidity, and then we bail out. And what I'm saying is that going down in a blaze of glory, just for glory, isn't very glorious at all. That Jesus demands that if we want to be all that we can be for Him and accomplish what we should accomplish for Him, then we must come to the place where we literally sit down and count the cost and don't even start it if you're not going to finish it. I want to challenge you to go all in, but I want to do so in a way that has a chance of accomplishing something. I, I want you to plan. I want you to sit down and get some good counsel. There's wisdom in a multitude of counsel because if your all-in moment is, God, is I'm just going to follow you and I'm going to be the best worship leader that I ever graced the face of the planet. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to quit everything and go to Nashville and I'm going to push it all to the front of the table. But all of us sitting around here, you're, when you're worshiping, we have to stick our fingers in our ears because you can't carry a tune in a bucket. Then you're not being courageous. You're being foolish. I am calling you to be courageous, but I also want you to understand that your courage cannot lead you to carelessness. Don't come and tell me you're going to do this and this and that or that for God, and you've never sat down and cost the, counted the cost and recognized that if you do this, your wife is going to leave you. 
and your kids are going to become casualties on the path of Christianity in their life because they don't trust you anymore. Count the cost. Don't, don't, don't tell me that, well, I'm just going to leave everything behind and go do what God said to do. When you know in the back of your mind that what you're really doing is trying to get away from your bills. I'll just, man, I'll just let the, they, they won't find me. I'll be in some deep, dark continent somewhere serving God. But you know that you went out and ran up bills that you can't pay. That's not courageous. That's irresponsibility. No, y'all ain't helping me none. See, David took calculated risks. He said, if I risk my life and go after Goliath, then what will be done for me? That's calculating the cost. He recognized when he found out what he was going to get, because the, the, the king's daughter must have been fine, because he, when he found out he was going to get the king's daughter, he said, oh, I'll go fight any giant in the land. Just give me a rock and a sling, and I'm after him, buddy. She must have been hot. But he calculated the cost. Some of you, in an attempt to be courageous, fight for nothing, and you get it all the time. Count the cost. The third thing I would say to you is that if you're going to go all in, you, you will be ambitious. We don't like to talk about ambition in church because most of us, when you say the word ambition or am, uh, being ambitious, we think that that is an evil trait. And I, I just want to say something to you that ambition for God's glory is not only condoned, it's commended. It is a required asset for anyone wanting to rise above the mass of men and do something extraordinary. If you are going to accomplish anything on this earth for the King of Kings and the King of Glory, you will have to be ambitious. Ambition led Noah to build an ark. Ambition led David to expand the borders of Israel. Ambition led, Sol led Solomon to build a temple. Ambition led Nehemiah to rebuild the walls. Ambition led Paul to spread the gospel to the end of the earth. Some of you are ambitious, but you're ambitious for the wrong reasons. I am not telling you to be ambitious for you. I am not telling you to be ambitious to make a name for yourself. I am challenging you to become ambitious for the glory and for the honor of the King of Kings and try to be the best you can possibly be for His sake and for His glory. Don't promote yourself. Promote Him. When you're trying to do something for His sake, that is godly ambition. So let me ask you a question. What audacious expansion... What audacious act, what supernatural feat are you trying to accomplish for His glory? Come on now, stop for a second. I'm going to stop right there and pause. Think. What are you doing that anybody else would categorize? Not anybody else. Let's ask it like this. What are you doing that God would say, they are being ambitious for me? I sincerely doubt that God is going to look at you at the end of your life and say, man, you did way too much for me. When I examine all the people that are standing before me, I'm just going to tell you, man, you should have taken a day off. You just outperformed them all. I am in awe. I am amazed at the fact you, you just did too much. You know what I think he's going to do for most of us? I think he's going to look at us and say, you were too satisfied. 
you were too satisfied for your own good and for the good of those that lives would have been impacted and changed for my glory because you weren't ambitious enough. Let me help you out this morning. If you've been saved more than a year, how many of you have been saved more than 365 days? Come on, raise your hand. All right. If you haven't been saved longer than that, this may not apply to you. But if you've been saved more than 365 days, I could probably say if you've been saved more than six months, then I just want to tell you that if your ambition is, I just want to make it to church on a regular basis, then you're not ambitious enough. Boy, I'm ambitious this year, Pastor. I, I want to tithe 10% this year. Minimum requirement. Thank you very much for being so ambitious. Good job. I want to serve more at church and in the kingdom of God than I do in my secular job. That is ambitious. Listen, if your ambition is to attend church regularly, and if your ambition is to, I need to tie 10% of my salary, then, then I just want to say something to you. You should have settled those issues years ago. Let, let, me, let me give you something. I want to do something so big for God that unless God intervenes, it will fail. Then come talk to me. I will stand you up and say, that's one ambitious person right there. If you would say to me that I want to I give away more than I keep, man, I gave 10% last year, so this year my goal, my ambitious goal is I want to give 20% away. And then next year I'm shooting for 30%. And then one of these days I'm going to give away more than I keep because I realize I can't take it with me anyway. That's ambition. If you've been saved more than a year, you ought to have greater goals than, man, I hope I can roll out of bed on this Sunday and get to church. Hope I didn't have a bad Saturday night. Hope I didn't stay at the movies too long because I might not be able to make it to the kingdom's house today. Oh, I can't do it today. Then you're not ambitious at all. You're just survival. Godly ambition is what God uses to do incredible things in our world. The last thing I would say to this to you this morning is this, and I hope you'll understand my heart is this, is if you are going to go all in, then I, you just need to know going into that that you are going to be accused of being arrogant. In fact, I want to say this to you this morning. If you've never been accused of being arrogant, then it's probably a sign that you're not being ambitious enough. You're dreaming way too small. Your goals are too easily attainable. Even David's own brother, when he went to face, went, went into the camp and saw the giant railing against Israel, and he began to ask questions, David's own brother looked at his younger brother and said, You are an evil young man. Catch this, you are trying to make a name for yourself. No, he wasn't. He was trying to protect the integrity of God. But he was accused of being arrogant. Now listen, here's our, here's our deal. I'm not talking about being accused of being arrogant because you're strutting around, strutting around as, is, as if you know everything and as if you can do everything and as if you can accomplish your dreams in your own strength and power. Please don't confuse your gift with his anointing. Because I just, I, here's a newsflash. Gifts are a dime a dozen. Musicians, you think you're so anointed or so gifted? Go to Nashville and let the guy pumping your gas tell you, take his guitar out and drop your jaw. He's probably better than Eddie Van Halen ever dreamed of being. 
right? Come on now. If, you, if you're into computers, no, I'm, I'm the computer guru. Go to the Silicon Valley and see what you really know. All right. Don't confuse your gift with his anointing. I'm talking about walking in an absolute confidence that if he told you to go all in and do something, then you are well able to go up and do what he said to do. My question this morning is where are the Caleb's that refuse to settle for lowland living when a mountain has been promised? Where are the confident individuals that know that if God said you can live as if it is done, then it is done? Where's the confident folks? It's a fine line to walk, I understand. Listen, I struggle with this all the time. Nobody likes to be accused of being arrogant. Nobody likes that. Anybody like being accused of being cocky? No, I don't think so. Uh, I just tell you it's a fine line to walk, and so I've been trying to walk this. I haven't even really, I don't think, probably adequately given you a picture of what God has called us to as a body because of fear of being considered cocky. But maybe it's time that I just share it with you and put it out there, and you can judge whether it, I'm, I'm ambitious for the right reason and whether the leadership team is on the right track because we feel like we've heard from God about what he wants us to do, and you can you can say, well, that's, that's just being cocky, or you can understand that we feel like God has called us to something. Maybe it's time I just stand up here and tell you that we are convinced that God has called this body to be a significant church in our community and not just this community around the metro and to be a flagship church, not just for our denomination, but for our community. Maybe we ought to be ambitious enough to say that we're not satisfied with 200 people on Sunday, that we are convinced that there ought to be houses called Passion all over the metro where people come for a radical experience with God. Maybe I ought to just be cocky, accused of being cocky by saying to you that I am convinced that our worship team not only has the giftedness but the anointing to record multiple albums, not for our glory, not for album sales, not to hit Billboard, hit Billboard Top 100, but to send them around the world to, to, to help people come into the presence of God. Maybe I ought to just be ambitious and, and accused of cocky enough to say that I, I just believe that as a body we ought to be so faithful in our giving that we ought to have the financial resources that when God says do something, I don't have to call the finance team and say, can you weed away $100 away from the youth ministry so we can feed these people? Maybe we ought to be ambitious enough to say that I am convinced, as sure as I'm standing here, I am convinced that what God wants to accomplish in this place is for His manifested glory to rest here to such an extent that when people walk in, they're healed and delivered and set free and their life is totally changed. But here it is, that it's so powerful that the greatest miracle occurs which is that you walk out of here and it begins to take place in your daily life at work and at school and at and any place that you go. Maybe we ought to be cocky enough about you to say about you what God has said, which is that you ought to be able to walk out of this place with authority and be an atmosphere changer, and to be a people changer, and to be an environment changer as you walk in the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the deal. Listen to me carefully. I can tell you that all those kind of things, whether you consider them arrogant or foolish 
or if you're where I'm at, and that is that I consider that being all in, I can tell you this morning that those type of things are only accomplished by those who are all in enough to believe for that and to work for that and to give for that and to live for that. And if we continue to have halfway folks that barely show up and barely give, some of you still tipping. Listen, I am telling you that you can consider it cocky if you want to, but we will never accomplish everything that God has called us to accomplish because we're in this together and we are only as good as the the least all-in person in the room. Let me just challenge you this morning to buy into what God is telling us to do and get on board. Push your chips to the table and say, I've never tried this before, but this one time, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just challenge you this morning to try God. Serve. If you've never served before, come see one of us and say, you know what, I've never tried this before, but I'll try. We'll plug you in and you may flop. And we'll hug you up and say, you can't sing. Worship team ain't for you. And we'll replug you into ushers or greeters or children's worker and you'll flourish somewhere. Try God. Well, I don't know how to tithe. Then come talk to one of us. We'll explain it to you. Not for our good, for your good. Try try him for 90 days. Test God and see. Try for 90 days to live on 90% instead of 100%. And I promise you, if it doesn't work, come see me. We'll fix it. I'll give you back everything you gave. Man, I like that kind of guarantee. Try God all in. I won't be able to get my boat. All in. A few years ago, there was a 33-year-old truck driver named Larry Walters. He made national news. Larry had this habit. He he drove his truck, and so he uh, would spend his weekends in Los Angeles, his Los Angeles backyard. He'd get off the road, and he didn't really feel like doing much, so he'd go to his backyard just south of the L.A. International Airport, and he would begin to drink. Pepsi. No, it wasn't Pepsi. He would begin to drink, and he would get his favorite little snack, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and he would just sit in his lawn chair all day long, and he'd stare at the houses around him in his subdivision where he lived. That's not really a very exciting life. One day out of abject boredom, he came up with this concept. He began to buy some balloons, and he bought a tank of helium, and he figured on What he would do is he'd tie the balloons to his lawn chair and he'd fill them with helium and he'd float up to get an aerial view of his neighborhood because he couldn't see it all at once. And so he judged that he'd probably not go any higher than about 100 feet in the air. Brilliant guy. Uh, But just in case, he went in the house and he dug out his BB gun and he loaded it. And his plan was that as he began to float up above his neighborhood, if he began to go too high, he would just shoot out some of the balloons and adjust his altitude. And so... Uh, I'm not sure how many six-packs he consumed of Pepsi, but uh, he decided it was worth a try. So what he did, Larry went out and he bought 45 big weather balloons. And he filled them with helium and he got some rope. And first he secured his lawn chair to the ground with the rope. Then he filled the balloons up and one by one he tied them to his lawn chair. Just before liftoff, he went in his house, and he got him uh, another six-pack of Pepsi for the the ride, and got him a couple of peanut butter jelly sandwiches and his BB gun, and he went out, and he sat down in his lawn chair, and he'd instructed his neighbors to cut the ropes when he was ready. So he yelled, let's go, 
and they begin to cut the ropes. The problem was is that when they cut the last rope, he didn't go 100 feet in the air. He shot straight up 11,000 feet in the air. Um, the BB gun idea didn't work because when you're zooming to 11,000 feet and fear takes over, you tend to drop things because he was holding on for dear life. So he dropped his BB gun, dropped his uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and his Pepsi, and he, he zoomed right up into the landing pattern of L.A. Airport. And a Continental DC-10 came by, and the pilot reported to the tower that I just passed a man in a lawn chair. <laughs> that pilot was instructed, as soon as you land, you come to wherever the pilots go because we think you've been drinking too much Pepsi, all right? And so eventually they sent up helicopters to rescue Larry, and they closed the airport and diverted all the landings and takeoffs at LAX while they played tag with this fellow in this lawn chair at 11,000 feet. When they finally got him down, he was surrounded by TV crews, as you can imagine. The police were there. The fire and ambulance was there. Everybody was there. And so they begin to interview him on TV, which is another brilliant idea. And uh, so they asked him. One of the reporters stuck a microphone in his face and said, Were you scared? No, not really, Larry said, which shows you how many Pepsis he's had to drink. And another reporter said, Are you going to do it again, Larry? And Larry said, No, 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 I don't think I'm so. going to do that. And one of the reporters came to this moment and had a brilliant question and asked Larry this. What in the world made you do it the first time? And I want you to listen to Larry's response. He paused and he thought about it for just a moment and he said this. Well, you just can't sit there. And I have come to tell some of you that you have been sitting and soaking too long, and you can't just sit here. Some of you walked in bruised and battered and broken. That was three years ago. You can't just sit here. I came to tell some of you that are struggling in your marriage that you can't just sit there. Do something about it. Go to counseling. Get help. Go all in and make up your mind that I am going to have the best marriage known to mankind. Some of you have been, some of you have been living in abject poverty long enough and you can't just sit there and say it's always going to be like it's always been. Get out of your house and go get a job. Let Go get some training. Go get some education. Go do something to better yourself so that it won't always be like it's all. Risk something. Can't just sit here. If we just sit here, then we will never live up to what God has called us to live up to. Be brave. Be ambitious. Be arrogant in your confidence of Him. But be smart. Stand with me this morning. Father, my challenge this morning is that I pray that you would turn the spotlight on each of our souls and our hearts. And we would come to this moment where we ask ourselves this question, am I really all in? Am I, am I living 
halfway obedient, halfway sacrificed, halfway serving, halfway giving, halfway believing. Father, I pray that you would wipe out of this body halfway mentality. I pray that in each of our lives you would challenge us to be unbelievably ambitious for you and for your name's sake. Not for us. Not, not for us. But for your sake. For your glory. Father, I pray that we would be overcome with the spirit of courage. We would count the cost, but we would have courage. I pray that we would have confidence in you enough to believe what you've said about us. We've received word after word corporately, and many of us standing in this room right now have received word after word that have declared who we are and what we're going to do. And many of us have settled back down into mediocrity. And I pray this morning that confidence in the fact that you're not a man that you should lie. And when your word comes to us, it's sure. It's yes and amen. Yes and so be it. I can live on that. I can do it. If you say it, then I can take it to the bank. Father, I pray for anybody that's in this body that's just been sitting here or sitting in their dead-end job or that's been sitting in a relationship that they haven't done anything to help. I, 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 I pray in Jesus' name that you would shake them out of apathy and they would begin to take the steps necessary. Let them try something. Let them take a risk. We don't want to just sit here. I don't just want to sit here when lives are at stake and destinies are in the balance. Help us, oh God. I pray in Jesus' I want you to look at your neighbor right now. Take your hands like this, and I just want you to go. That's all in. Come on, I, I, I need you to pause just a moment and count the cost. I, I'm signifying by doing this. I'm, I'm positioning my family. I'm positioning my finances. I'm positioning my future. I'm positioning everything about me. I won't hold anything. I'm all in. All or nothing, counting on Him to make up the difference. Father, I release my people today to live that style. I just release them to live like you. That's how you lived. You risk everything. I pray we would risk everything in the name of Jesus, for Jesus' glory, and for Jesus' sake. Amen. You're free to go this morning. I encourage you, if you're a regular part of our body, please stick around just a moment. If you're visiting with us, make sure you get your cookies on the way out. We're going to give you just a, a little bit, just a couple minutes, and then if you will, come on back here. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.